Hello, welcome, and thanks for checking in today to No Vacancy, the podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Palmer. I'm an Airbnb ambassador and 17-time super host, and I've hosted over 1,000 reservations. I'm a stay-at-home mom of two and manage my eight listings remotely. My mission is to help new and experienced vacation rental hosts turn their listings into fully booked, profitable properties that can be managed from anywhere, so you too can have no vacancies. If that sounds good to you, let's get right into the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of No Vacancy, the podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Palmer, and today I have on one of my good friends, Brindy Bringhurst, aka Air Brindy. She is a fellow Airbnb ambassador with me, and she is, I think, has some of the best content right now online just with hospitality tips and tricks. I feel like she's in her business more than a lot of people I see who have outsourced everything, and I really admire that. So when it comes to all the daily realities of hosting, I feel like Brindy gets it and resonates with us. And I think it's been a while since we've just had a hospitality-focused episode. We've done a lot on investing and how to grow your business lately. So, Brindy, thank you for being here. Do you want to open up with a little intro about yourself and kind of a story about how you grew and what your portfolio looks like? Sure. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me on. Really excited to be here. I know. It's about time. You've been like one of my OG friends in this space through (laughs) being an ambassador. And I can't believe it's been this long before we've had you on the podcast. But welcome. Perfect timing. (laughs) Yep. Awesome. Yeah. So I started my business back in 2015 was the first time that I hosted an Airbnb guest, but really didn't get really into the business until probably 2017 or 2018 when I started co-hosting. And so at this point, I do a little bit of everything. I do some co-hosting, some rental arbitrage, and then also own a couple of properties that I manage myself as well. And yeah, I feel like the last, I mean, really the entire time I've been doing my business, it's a big combination of trial and error, a lot of experimenting. Uh, if I feel like in this industry, there's some best practices, but a lot of it, you just have to be willing to take a leap. Try something, try it out, go off of a couple of good referrals, see if it works for you. So I feel like the last several years, it's just been a lot of experimenting and exploring and seeing what's going to work best for my business. And I do what a lot of people say you shouldn't do, and that's mixing strategies. But it's worked well for me. And I think now it's figuring out which direction I really want to lean into. I hate that people say that you should be like all in as a co-host and like build a property management business or all in arbitrage or whatever. I'll actually segue here slightly, but my own business mentor, he just gave me this really great example that he's been using and the FedEx logo. I don't know if you've ever noticed that there's an arrow and actually a spoon hiding in the white space of the logo. And a lot of people have seen the arrow, but most people haven't seen the spoon. And he's been doing this exercise with me and some of my clients. And the whole point is like once you see the arrow in the spoon, you can't unsee it, but it just takes an eye to like point it out for you for the first time. And that's how I feel about when people like mix strategies. I love it because there's some markets where honestly, I don't think the numbers make sense on ownership, but you can go in there and kill it as a co-host and vice versa. And I feel like the people who if you spend enough time here, you start to like see opportunities where other people don't and 
I think if you're mixing strategies, that's like the sign to me of somebody who's like learning and evolving and spotting opportunities. And once you see it, you can't unsee it. So I, I hate that people shit talk that. I think you're doing (laughs) wonderful. Yeah, I love that. No, it's so true. And that's what it's, that's what it's been for me. And that's how when I first started, it was every opportunity felt like something I really needed to dig into. Then as I evolved in my business, I was able to be a little bit more choose what's going to be best for me, what's going to be best for my business. But I feel like those early opportunities where it's like, well, here's a, here's a rental arbitrage property that just fell into my lap. Well, let's see, let's see what I can do with it. Then same thing with co-hosting. And yeah, I've learned that they're, they're, they are three different businesses, but there are so many things that I've learned from each of them that have been able to supplement the other. How about this? Before we get into all of your hospitality tips and tricks, do you want to give us like a quick like pros and cons list to each of them, like arbitrage yeah. co-hosting versus ownership? And you also just posted a really good reel that had a breakdown of numbers on one of your arbitrage deals. And you said that you would not be renewing that lease. <laughs> so and maybe we could dive into that and see what where you think maybe that went wrong or maybe it didn't go wrong, but it just wasn't the right fit for you. Like, So let's run like a little case study on what you've got going on. Yeah, love it. This has been top of mind. So this is perfect. So first, starting with with rental arbitrage, I think the big downside to rental arbitrage is that it's super risky. And it does hurt me a little bit in this space because I see it sold often as something that is zero risk. And I suppose I can understand how people can come at it from that angle. But at the end of the day, when you have a rental arbitrage property, you're responsible for the rent, the utilities internet, no matter what happens, you, no matter how well you rent, you're still responsible to pay all those bills. And so it doesn't take that rough of a month to all of a sudden you go from making money to losing money. And that's coming right out of your pocket. Whereas if you were to own that property, then at least you're still investing in that property and you're still, your money's still going into taking care of that property where with rental arbitrage, it's just gone. And so that to me is the biggest downside to rental arbitrage. The other downside that I ran into with rental arbitrage is usually you have a property manager or a landlord, but there's somebody who you are dependent on for making repairs and improvements. If it's a property that you own, you get to decide when it's time to replace something. You don't get to do that when you are renting and things are only going to get repaired or fixed if your landlord or property manager deems it necessary. And so what I started running into with one of my properties in particular is I had a bathtub that was like peeling terribly and I, I couldn't get it fixed. And it was going to be many hundred dollars for me to do it myself. And that just made no sense to do it with a rental arbitrage. So I'm getting, starting to get reviews that aren't, that I'm feeling sad about because I don't want my guests to have the experience that they're having of this place isn't well-maintained, but really like my hands were tied. So that property I've since let go. The property that I'll share numbers on, I act, well, I'll, well, yeah, I'll share these numbers really quick. This one I actually still have. And to me, this one still feels okay for me. Okay. Um, year one, it's a one bedroom condo in really close to downtown Phoenix. And year one, my gross bookings were 35000 And after everything came out, cleaning fees, which were almost 5000 rent, which was almost 15000 utilities, restock, and software, my profit for that year ended up being about 13000 for the year, which averaged $1,000 a year. So that was in a month, which was an awesome year. <laughs> okay. That was 2021. Uh, so about 1000 a month in 2021. 
Yeah. And I will say this property early on, I got it set up in a way that this property is, has really been a breeze. It's been, I, the guests have been happy. It's in a great location. It's a very simple property. It's easy for the cleaners to get to. So this was a pretty easy property for me to automate. So, I mean, a thousand dollars a month, that's, that, that's good for me. I, for, and especially when I start, started this property in 2021, like that, I was happy with that. You're How much? Why? Oh, excuse me. I'll ask really quick. How much setup work did you have to do on this? Like, was it furnished when you rented it or did you have to bring in all your own furniture and decor and everything? I brought in all my own furniture. Uh, The timing worked that I was moving and I had a lot of my own furniture. So I spent about 5,000 furnishing it. But that would have easily been 10,000 if I wasn't using my own furniture and my own things that I've been collecting over time. So yeah, and I yeah, and I will break that down here in this next one. So then year two, I ended up with about seven hundred a month, and that's where it's like, oh, is it worth it? But then you do the math after that and take out that four five grand of initial setup, and yeah, average is about six fifty a month over the past two years. Okay. Which, looking ahead, not really. Those aren't deals I'm interested in. I still have this property. Like I said, it's like automated. It's taking care of itself. Yeah. What I will say is this summer has been really rough in Phoenix. There's a lot of saturation. We had Super Bowl here. And so everybody rushed to get their properties up for Super Bowl. And and we were really slammed in March and April, like Phoenix always is. But this has been the slowest summer that I've seen. And this property is hurting. So... It's these are lessons that I'm continuing to learn, and I do see myself as an explorer in this space. So, who better than me to be out there and experimenting yeah. and learning in my own experience of what's working and what's not? And like right now, I'm not making any money off of this property. Fall, it'll pick up. The numbers will. But for someone who's just getting started, this could feel so scary. Like this yeah. is a bummer for me, but I mean, it's not going to wreck my business to have a low month or have a month. Yeah. That- cover the rent a couple hundred dollars, but it does pain me because a rental arbitrage can often be, that's the ticket to get started with no capital. And then all of a sudden you have a down month and yeah, $100 out of your pocket. And that's, no one wants to do that. Yeah. I think you nailed it. I think if you're already up and running and you've got a few businesses to balance an arbitrage out and you see a good opportunity with an arbitrage, it's like, okay, I know how to host now. I might have leftover furniture from other rentals that hasn't been used. Like it's a lot easier to just do it that way and take it or leave it if it works. But I do agree with you. It's sad that this is kind of sold as like the way to like mass fortune on Airbnb. And that's where a couple low months could kill somebody. Like, So yeah. One thing I'll add about rental arbitrage is it was good for me to establish my Airbnb. If someone goes into like my Airbnb profile, if somebody goes into rental arbitrage feeling like, okay, this isn't going to make me money, but it's going to help establish my reputation as a host. I'm going to be able to earn reviews. I'm going to be able to show people that I'm running a legitimate short-term rental business. Mm -hmm. It is helpful for that. It's a portfolio builder. And so I think for someone going into it like that, keep a little bit of reserves in case for slow season or if it is a down month, but it is a good, you can get started with no capital, which you can't do if you're buying. And so there, that part of it, 
No regrets overall, but it's not something I'm going to be doing much more of. <laughs> gotcha. Okay. So that recaps your experience with arbitrage. How do you feel about co-hosting versus ownership? So co-hosting is the one that really has a special spot in my heart because it just works. Like no matter, it works for everybody. I'm a big time believer in my own business and how I've done all of my deals is I don't want to like have to win over somebody's business and I don't want to have to convince them to go with me. I really just go the path of least resistance. I find the people who it's just a fit. They want to work with me. I want to work with them. And when you find those people and it's not easy and one of the, I would say hands down, the most popular question I get from people is how do you find people to co-host for? And it's yep. not a cut and dry, simple and easy answer. So that's the downside is finding people <laughs> to co-host for. But the upside is just, I mean, there, it's a beautiful relationship when you yeah. can find the right people to do it with. I have, I've made good friends through co-hosting, good business partners through co-hosting who end up referring me to all sorts of different things in my life. And so, yeah, co-hosting is great because you always, you can only earn money. You're never going to be in the hole. You're working off of a percentage. And so, you know, you're always going to get that percentage. You don't have to have any capital or upfront cash. I think that the thing that's important to remember about co-hosting and what I maybe, I don't know if I'll call it a mistake, but maybe something that I see people thinking that they can land a co-host deal on day one of their short-term rental business. Right. It doesn't work that way. You do need the experience. And that's where I kind of feel like the rental arbitrage can come in. Like you can get a couple of those to show that you know what you're doing and then that might be enough to earn your first co-host deal. So that's the downside. I feel like you really do need experience to get started in co-hosting as you should. I mean, you're, it's a big responsibility taking care of somebody's property and right. investments is a big thing. So yeah, looking ahead, especially in a market where I think there's some good deals out there for purchasing, but they're harder and harder and harder to find. And so I think for my business right now, that's what I'm most excited, excited about. And this is very recent. Honestly, a few months ago, I wasn't exactly sure which direction to go with this. But at this point, I'm most interested in growing the co-hosting side of my business okay. and doing that in a way that it's fully aligned with my, my business and the values that, that I have. So right. love co-hosting. And I think that's a great goal for anybody to make. And really the answer to finding those people is just to work your network as annoying of an answer that is. That's how I found all of my co-hosts. And sometimes just for fun, I like go through all the people I co-host for and I'm like, how did I meet that person? And it's like, oh yeah, that person referred me to that person, referred me to that person, referred yep. me to that person. Referred me to that person and then I now I'm managing their home. <laughs> I think the encouraging you can view that as like a negative or a positive, right? But I think right. the encouraging way to view that is I've noticed that growth in this industry is so exponential. Like it seems impossible to get the first owner to trust you with the biggest purchase of their life. But once yep. they do, if you do a good job with that, it's like literally this is how it happened for me. Like neighbors just started asking me, like, hey, your place is booked, manage mine. Or that yeah. person might have another friend who, if there's somebody who owns an investment property, they probably run in circles with other people who do, and they might need a co-host. And it really, like you just said, like, you don't even remember now how you met all these people, but it's like some connection somewhere made it work. So yeah. hang in there if you're in this struggle right now, trying to find the first co-host deal, because I promise it gets easier after this. Absolutely. The first one is so freaking hard to get. And then after that, it gets a little easier. And then way easier after that. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I say no to more deals than I say yes to now. Like by well, far. Like yes, it's just that. like, no, not interested in that one. Like it, I'm turning down stuff at this point. 
Absolutely. And that's an interesting moment to really feel. And that, uh, oh, the challenge has changed. There's a new, there's a new dilemma here. And I think that's really where I'm at, where it's wanting to work with people where like, once again, where that relationship really works, where I'm valuing what they're valuing. And yeah, that does require saying no, which is also hard. That's also (laughs) hard. That's true. Okay. I think that was a wonderful recap on your portfolio and just kind of the pros and cons of all the different strategies you're doing, Brindy. But I think more than anything, you are like my go-to hospitality girl. Like that is what your tips are always on. I feel like you always are able to add the personal touch without going overboard. And you've got all the good tips for like how to ask for a five-star review without being cringy. And let's just, I don't know how you want to kick this off. Should we like rapid fire some things or like do you just want to give us like an overview on your hospitality philosophy like we can take this anywhere yeah I'll do a little I'll do a little brief kind of what comes to mind when I think about how I approach it before I managed before I was doing any short-term rentals or in this business at all I worked at a tech startup and I more or less had a customer service role and dealt with some pretty high pressure customer service interactions. And I really learned the value of well-structured emails and phone conversations and learned once again, through a lot of trial and error, what people were responsive to and what helped them feel supported and taken care of and what did the opposite and just sent someone up a angry spiral that I didn't want. So that was an interesting thing. And I could have, it was unexpected that would be so helpful in my business. And I think it took me a couple of years to realize just how helpful that was. And so really when it comes to hospitality, I, above all else for me is communication. Communicate every word that is sent to my guests through through my automated messages, through messages that I personally send that are in my guest guide. Like every word that comes out of or through me and my business to my guest, I am so careful about what I'm saying and what that might be communicating. And I'm always open to tweaking those things. And it's been interesting because as I've scaled a little bit, I have gotten help with communication and I've used different services to help me communicate with guests. And it's really just reiterated to me that it really does these little things, these teeniest, tiniest details really do make a difference in how the guest receives you, how they feel you're taking care of them, whether they feel like they are yeah, being thought of, being taken care of. And yeah, for me, I mean, hospitality almost is like equals communication. I don't know if that's a fair thing to say. No, that's, I think that's great advice because I think a lot of people start thinking like, okay, hospitality means having branded whatever, this and that at the property and robes hanging for them. And like that can be part of it. But I think you're right. If you don't have the budget to do all of that yet, as long as you have good communication, like you can still be a good host to start and set those expectations from the beginning, regardless of what you're working with property wise. Absolutely. I that's been so important for me. And it has been really interesting to watch. Like when I'm when I have full when I'm handling all communication and maybe at this point I have an assistant who helps me and she communicates in the same way that I am. But as long as that communication is coming with like my Air Brindy's voice, my voice, it I get the right reviews. The guests are happy. I get return guests. 
And that really has started to break down once I've started to bring in these other help to communicate. And I don't necessarily blame the people and systems that I'm bringing in. It's just the fact it's just not aligned. And I think it's like that alignment. People, guests really sense that, that sincerity of when I'm sending you this message, checking in, asking you how your night went. I'm sincere. I don't know. And maybe it is an automated message, but it's an automated message that I've been tweaking late over the past three years to articulate exactly what's really important for me to articulate at the exact moment that I'm sending it. And so I think that's another piece that people get a little free. I found like hosts who are not brand new, but still learning the ropes a little bit are often a little freaked out to use automated messages because I feel Mm -hmm. like it's the opposite of provide good hospitality. And uh, yeah, I really disagree with that. And I think it's, I think it's a good a good sign when somebody is concerned about it. I think they're thinking in the right direction, but it's actually a wonderful tool to just be a, a way for you to ex- to communicate exactly on time and exactly what you want to communicate every time. I just heard a horror story. One of my friends in my Taco Tuesday group that I think you went to yeah. once, um, yeah. right. one of my friends there said that she had this like horrible guest and they were going back and forth about like how to give her a refund and all this stuff. And there was just a lot of tension already, like kind of she was still staying out this day, but it was like a awkward, tense back and forth. And then I guess like on the evening before checkout, this automated message went out oh. that she forgot to turn off. And it was like, I hope you're enjoying your stay. And I hope that you're getting a five star experience. We plan on leaving you a five star review and would love the same. And it was just like, so bad and she said that it went out and she was just like mortified and Darn it <laughs> out of sync from like where the conversation yeah. had been going and the people I think that they literally responded and just said like are you kidding like it was just like it's so inappropriate so I've been a little jaded from that but how do you compensate like if things like that happen are you yeah. do you have to set a reminder or do you just know your automated schedule so well that you can like go block one if you need to yeah I do try to I do send all my messages at the same time. And so usually for guests like that, and it's so much easier said than done because when you're working with a guest about a refund, the last thing you're thinking about is turn off my automated automated Yeah, Like you have to train your brain. I will say though, I have gotten the habit of thinking that way. And my, the people who helped me have also gotten in the habit of thinking that way. So Hopefully we can intercept it, but man, things do happen. And I have so much empathy for that person because I send in that position too. And yeah, sometimes, so if I see that go, if I see that go out and they haven't responded yet, which this has happened before, I will send something like, sorry, but I'm so sorry. That was an automated, like come clean. That was an automated message. It's the best thing I feel like you can do at a certain point. <laughs> I think that's a good tactic. And it goes back to the transparency and the authenticity people want. Just own it at that point. Um, What is your communication schedule? So they get something, I'm sure, the moment that they book, there's an automated message there. And then can you walk us through like the communication flow that happens after that? Yeah. Yeah. So I send the message right out confirming their booking. For some of my properties that have some some important things to know, like while planning, I have a property in Sedona where there's just no service there. So I like to tell people plan ahead, grocery stores close early. So sometimes I'll send that first thank you message. And then the next day or just a couple of hours, or you, it's actually the next like morning after they book, I'll send a, here's a helpful information to know as you're planning your stay. And so I will often send that just right after that initial thank you for booking message. 
And then I will send check-in information two days before check-in. That's what I kind of found to be the sweet spot. If you, For me, if I started sending check-in information much earlier than that, then sometimes like a lock code might change or there's just enough things that can change that I feel like that two days. And also I'm not comfortable having the exact address lock code information out into the ethers until the guest actually needs it. But two days feels like the amount of time they need to prepare. So I send the check-in information two days before they arrive. And then once they arrive, I send their, I send my check-in and my first message to say, how is everything? I send that the first morning after they check in. I think it goes out at 9 a.m. So they don't get any communication the day of arrival because they've received everything two days before. And then they get yep. the next thing during their stay is the morning after. Yeah, that's how I do it. And that would actually be kind of interesting to see about adding. I do think with these messages, for me, less is more a little bit. And I yeah, I agree. myself when I'm a guest, uh, if I'm like, oh, shoot, they message again. It can be a little unnerving to get a lot of messages. Yes. Okay, let me jump in on that because <laughs> I... Ever since the automated message feature came out, I now as a host, if I stay at an Airbnb, I can tell when somebody has automated messages because you can tell it's the person who was like, this is amazing. I'll do a message here and a message here and a message here. And all of a sudden I'm getting like three messages a day for no reason. But I feel yeah. like some people just got like way too excited about this technology. So I agree with you. Scale it back because okay, it's true. so obvious to me and I'm like... Okay, like somebody had yeah. a way too much fun one afternoon just programming everything they could do. Totally. And the thing is, too, is the more you add, the more open you, the more you open yourself up to repeating information, contradicting yourself. Yes. Like in one message, you're saying park here. The next message, you're saying it a little differently. And it sounds like you're saying to park over here. And so it's just, it gets, it can easily, without any, without meaning to, it can get a little bit messy. So yeah, I don't send anything day of check-in. I just send that initial check-in information two days prior to check-in. And then morning after, I send a message, hope you settled in okay. And then I send a message the night before checkout. And that's where I just list out my checkout instructions, which are also in the in a hard copy inside of the home. And I just copy and paste the exact same bullet points. I try to keep it to like, four bullet points for checkout. Okay. And it's simple stuff. It's like set the AC to, you know, 80 degrees here in Arizona, keep our AC bills down, put all the dirty towels in one pile, start the dishwasher. And each property might have a small nuance or lock the door on your way out. So keeping that super simple, but the important things. And then they check out. And then I think it's at 4 p.m. after they check out that I send my, my, message where I specifically ask for the five-star review. Okay. When I check in, that check-in is like the hardest phrase to use because like I check in, they check in, I check in sending a I'm message. I'm checking they in check on them. them. <laughs> but the message I send when I touch base with them the go. morning after they check in, <laughs> in that message, I say my goal is to provide a five-star stay. And so that's how I set myself up for asking for that five-star review. So I say mm -hmm. my goal is to provide you a five-star stay. If there's anything you need during your time, please feel free to reach out here. And that there was that made a difference in my reviews and in the number of reviews I was getting and the quality of reviews. And so that's been really good for me. And I, there's still little tweaks that I'm making, but I feel like that was one of the biggest, best 
adjustments I made to my message templates is sending that initial message saying, I want, I, my goals provide a five star stay. Please reach out to me if you need anything, leaving that door wide open if there's anything that could potentially cause a negative review. And then that sets me up perfectly to then ask for a five star review in a way that doesn't feel like mm-hmm. I'm just barging in saying, leave me a five star review. <laughs> what is, are you willing to share what's the wording that you, the exact wording that you use for that post checkout message asking for the five star review? Let's see. I say if you could take a couple of minutes this afternoon, it would help us out. It would help us out a lot if to if you could leave us a five star review. Of course, we'll leave you one in return, which that's an important message to intercept if you're not going to leave them a five star review. (laughs) But I really like that wording because it that is they're in the same position as we are as hosts in a lot of ways. And especially as Airbnb becomes more and more of a mainstream way to travel, like they need those good reviews too. Mm -hmm. And so I think I like having that in the message and creating this like reciprocity. That word is not. (laughs) Reciprocity. There you go. There you go. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I think that's important to, to, I I like that feels good for me. So yeah, I think we have a couple of minutes this afternoon. Yeah. It helps us out a bunch. Something I've played with before is saying, dif- finding different ways to say, you don't need to write a book. You don't need to write a novel about your stakes. I think that's something that keeps people from leaving reviews. Sometimes they're like, oh, I need to sit down and write a rough draft and then write three paragraphs about my stake. And so I played with a while just saying, just leave a sentence or two, you know, but that, it, that felt kind of messy. So it's just very, all of my messages are very short. I try not to make people scroll on the messages. So it's just, the fewest number of words to say what I need to say. Yeah. And the one thing I will add to that, just because it's been coming up a few times with new people that I've been working with, those first few reviews after you launch a new listing are so important. And you, it's like once you are established, you want to get reviews. But, you know, if you don't get a review from a guest, it's not the end of the world. I don't even really keep track of it. I don't know. It's fine. But when you're first starting, you really need those first few five-star reviews. And so one thing that I will send to brand new for a brand new listing to probably like maybe the first five guests is I'll say, I'll send another message if they don't review right away and say, you're one of our very first guests. Uh, It'll help us out a ton and just let them know you are one of our first guests. And I think that's a great way to really keep that door wide open for any feedback. Guests makes them feel kind of special. Uh, I never say you are the first guest because that's that's scary. (laughs) But I'll say you're one of our first guests. We're learning. Please provide any feedback, and then and then I'll reiterate that again at the on the other end when I'm asking for the review because those. I love that tip too, and especially whenever I do a new listing, I always use that twenty percent off for the first three guests in Airbnb. And so people have, people already kind of know that they're one of the first if they're getting that discount, but I like to turn it back. Like, I hope that you appreciate the 20% discount. Like we're still getting our footing. So if there's any feedback, please let me know directly. Like I try to do it like, oh, we did a huge favor for you with that. But like in exchange, let me know if there's any issues. And I don't think we've ever gotten anything less than five stars from one of those first three guests. Like I feel like I really like bring them in to like, we're working on this together and here's a little treat for you just to help. So yeah, I love that. And honestly, like my first few guests at some of my properties, those are the guests I remember. Those Mm -hmm. are the guests who I'm more likely to form some type of a relationship with. 
So there's a big opportunity there with those first couple of guests, because as a host, you're all hands on deck. Yeah. And as a guest, there's almost like this collab collaborative feeling of, oh, wow, this is a brand new host that, you yeah. know, so I, I love that. I might bring that into. Yeah, I like that one. OK, so you have a very good communication flow. So it's only four. It's only four automated message. You have the confirmation booking, the check in instructions. The morning after touch base and then the five star ask at the morning end. Morning after, then check out instructions. Oh, that's right. Uh, so five. Okay. That's nothing. There you go. Yeah. And I feel like that's already the five points you're touching base anyway. So you might as well automate it. And totally. I think with only five, if you have the timing in your head, you can intercept it if you need to. So if that's you anyone's fear, you can intercept it. Don't go program 15 yeah. and then not know when they're going out. Okay. That's but like right. keep it quality over quantity and just do a few strategic ones. I love it. That's right. And you know what, Natalie, what's been so funny about those five messages is a solid handful of times. I mean, probably well into the double digits now. I've had guests leave reviews saying like how good of a host I was, how well I took care of them, how specifically how good the communication was. And I, there wasn't a single message. You didn't so, do anything. Yeah. yeah. And that feels pretty awesome. Like at first it's like, am I cheating? But it's like, no, like this no. is, I didn't just slap these messages together. I've been extremely intentional about these messages and I'm constantly reevaluating them. But that does give me a lot of joy because it's like, you know what? I think my business is working. <laughs> I think it is too. Okay. I love that. I think that caps off the communication recap. But what are some of your other hospitality tips? Like I know we kind of teased like the branded stuff or like personal things that you do. I don't know if you offer any like concierge services, like stocking the fridge or anything, but what's some of that stuff you do to just make this day more special? Yep. So one of the big ones is I really like to have good recommendations, not just generic, you know, what you're going to find if you do a TripAdvisor search. Maybe it's the same. Maybe what I like is the same as TripAdvisor, but I really <laughs> like having really good and thoughtful recommendations. And so that's something that I've tried to automate a little bit for each of my properties where I do put together, but every guest is different. Some guests are looking for a family-friendly place. Some people are looking for something romantic with just their spouse or partner. And so I try to be really intentional about those recommendations and really understand what they're looking for. And also using that as an opportunity to refer local businesses, create relationships within each of my markets. But I feel like that's a big piece of hospitality, just really making guests feel like you're watching out for their, the best interest of their stay. And in a world of so much like paralysis analysis and so difficult to choose if one night in town, where are you going to go to dinner? I like to see myself as a person who can kind of just put my guests at ease, letting them know, like, do not worry. If you go to this place or this place, you cannot go wrong. These are the best places yeah. in town and really helping them feel like, like, they're not going to make the wrong decision on where to go because I feel that when I'm traveling sometimes. Right. And I can sense that in my guests. And so that's been a big one is, is giving really thoughtful recommendations, both in my guest guide, but also having that teed up in messages. I do use the Airbnb guidebook and I do love that. Yeah. So I'll send that to guests. So that I like this one. I'll jump in here too. I like this one too, because you have to recognize people are coming to your area for the first time. And yes, they could obviously just yell for Google, the top restaurants. But I think you hit on something like there's a reason that they picked your place. They liked the decor. They liked your communication. So chances are they're going to like what you personally, Brindy, recommend where you eat, where you get coffee. So I think a recommendation from your host carries more weight than just like top 10 places on Yelp. And 
Another thing I do too is in my guidebook where I do recommend restaurants, I've actually gone a step further and I add my favorite menu item. And people don't obviously need to get that, but I'll say like, go check out this restaurant. You have to get the like roasted Brussels sprouts and like the bread pudding for dessert. Like I'll tell people like, go eat this. And I just think they don't have to get it. But like that shows like, okay, this person's actually been there before a few times. They've tried the menu. So yes, I love that. It's like, oh, I got to do that. But you know what? I do that at my favorite coffee shop. There's a specific drink that guests have to get or their trip will not be complete. I love it. Yeah, I I do. I really enjoy doing that. And if somebody asks for something and I don't have the answer, I mean, I'll dig. Like, I'll go reach out to my realtor and reach out to my neighbor and be like, we're looking for this. And I'll really dig for it. Yeah. So there, so that recommendations, as far as concierge, I have one property where I've experimented with this and I haven't really nailed this one down. I don't feel like the combination of my properties and maybe locations are appealing to the market who really wants this. I actually have smaller, like my properties are all two and three bedroom pretty much. I don't have like the real big ones. I don't really have any properties that attract like bachelorette parties or those types of things. So I do want to explore this more. I just haven't figured out how it fits in with my business. I would say, honestly, the way that my business is operating right now, with the exception of this one where I'm experimenting, but honestly, that'll be another podcast once I learn a few more things. What I will say about this in terms of hospitality, do not overcommit yourself. And I have had a tendency to want to, I had a guest checking into one of my homes up north where it's a little more remote and she was arranging, I don't even know how she did it, but she was arranging some type of grocery pickup and delivery. This is a small town. So I'm not sure how she was doing it, but she was trying to arrange to have these groceries dropped off so that they would be there for her when she arrived. And it was just going to, I was, I really wanted to work with her and find a way to like support her on this. But we had another guest checking out. Our cleaning team was slammed that day. It was like, it just wasn't going to be in her or my best interest to find a way to get these groceries in the fridge. And I ended up just saying, I don't think this is going to work. Like why? And we went back and forth quite a bit. We ended up finding a solution that was going to work. But I think hospitality doesn't just mean saying like, yep, I like to say yes as often as I can. But you definitely want to protect yourself from being in a position where you're saying yes to something and then not being able to deliver on it. That is a sure way to set yourself up for a negative review because the types of people who are trying to like navigate these special scenarios are also the people that if it doesn't work out like they want it to, you don't want to be the one that's that blame is resting on. So I think that that might honestly be one of the most important things I think ever said on this podcast. Like (laughs) I might like crown you with something because that is I, I think people think hospitality means yes, yes. And as you were telling that story, I remembered one time that we had a guest who really wanted to drop their luggage off early. And if we can accommodate it, we will. But in this particular case, they really wanted to drop it off like at our checkout time is like 11 a.m. And they wanted to drop it off like at 930. And it was like, okay, that's not going to fly like at least at 11 a.m. And then, of course, that happened to be the day that we had these guests running late and they weren't checking out on time. And they ended up, I could just tell from how they were leaving, scrambling that it was going to be a huge mess. And the people were still like, can we drop our luggage off? Can we drop our luggage off? My cleaner hadn't arrived yet. And I was like, there's no way I'm letting these people in before my cleaners even got in there to assess. So I was like, I'm sorry, I need to wait for my cleaner to like let you in. I think my cleaner finally got there at like 1 p.m. 
So we were super stressed that people still wanted to drop off luggage, which I don't know why. At that point, I was like, it didn't happen by 11. Like, Great. go to town. Wait, go do something. But they still wanted to drop it off. And finally, when my cleaner got there at one, she was like, it's a disaster. Like, it looks so bad. And I was embarrassed. Like, I didn't want them to see their exactly. being in two hours what it looked like. And yes. I just was like, I cannot let them in. Like, I know they want the luggage, but I am making a call that it would be worse to let them in right now. Yes. And so in the end, I just said no. And yes. I think they were really annoyed. And they ended up actually leaving like a three-star review over it, which I got removed because I was like, we never even promised like luggage drop-off. Yeah. Like, this was such a weird thing. But I think you're right. Like from now on moving forward, I actually just tell everybody straight up, we don't do luggage drop-off. And then if the day of we happen mm -hmm. to make it work, yeah. I'll let them. But I think you're right. Like sometimes hospitality is learning when to say no and just yeah. protecting that whole, the whole piece around it. So it really is, yes. And that's part of hospitality too. I mean, at the end of the day, we're creating a, an entire experience. And if that experience starts, even if it is you doing them a favor, that experience starts with them walking into a place that they might see and be like, holy moly, that is trashed. Yeah. That is not like, what kind of an operation are they running? They don't understand the ins and outs of our business. I and mean, that's just something we have to deal with from time to time. Right. That is not a good first impression. And I've had the exact, I think you made the right call on that. And I've had that same dilemma where I'm like, I, I know, because I've even had guests say, oh, don't worry. I know if the cleaners aren't done, don't worry. I can just sleep. It's like, no. Well, I was like, you do not understand how bad. I know you will. <laughs> and I couldn't even tell them. I didn't want to be like, no, you can't go because it's a pigsty. It was just like, I'm so sorry. It's just not going to work out. Like, yeah. it's just a bad time. And I was like making up these like lies to cover the fact that the place yeah. was trash. It was just so yeah, awkward. And I so. think in those moments, like once again, I keep going back to just making things concise and firm. And definitely early on, I spent a lot of time being like, this is what trying to help people understand. And I've cut a lot of that out because the, people don't really care. <laughs> they just, yeah. And so, and it just makes the key, there's really not much they can rebuttal. Yeah. There's not much rebuttal they can have if you're just saying that this is in a, in, with kind words. Yeah. But yeah. That's been important. That's good. Okay. Give us one more tip. I think we're just about coming up on time, but like what's one more signature Airbrindy thing that you like to do to reinforce the good hospitality? Yeah. I think the thing we've been really focused on communication. And so this one's a little different than that. And I think it's just trying to be doing preventative things to take care of your guests. So things that are really practical that really do impact their stay. And when I first started, these are the things that felt like, oh, I can save money on that. Not going to do that. <laughs> and they felt like the things that I was going out of my way not to do. And the last couple of years of my business has been a, really revisiting a lot of those things. So things like in all of my properties, I have makeup washcloths and that helps me. But also it's just helpful for guests. So when I'm going somewhere, I don't want to get their white washcloths dirty. And yeah. It's good when they have exactly what I need. So yeah, makeup washcloths beach towels or big towels if you're near a, a water yeah water feature of some sort the beach or a lake gosh I'm kind of blanking on other ones but the, all of the right soaps like making sure that I do have a dish soap and a hand soap mm -hmm. like those mm -hmm. are things that feel important they really and I notice when I go places and I don't have those little things that yeah 
I'm used to there was them. there was like one we added, which yeah, I love the way you framed this. It's like you're doing it for your guests, but also secretly for yourself too. It was the it was like aluminum, those like round aluminum pizza tray things to bake yeah. a pizza on. Yeah. Because uh, we found that that's like the number one thing our oven is used for is frozen pizzas. And before we had that, a lot of people will just bake them on the rack. Right. And we would have like globs of melting cheese. And so we just like put those little like aerated aluminum round like pizza trays in all the ovens. We actually don't even store them like in a cabinet. We just store it in the oven now because I'm like, I know that's what most people are cooking. So they'll open it and find it. But that was a huge one that it was like, we're doing this for you. But also secretly for ourselves. So there's no more like sticky cheese globs. And yep. so I think that's a good way to think about it. The makeup wipes, the pool towels. Like I, as a guest, feel guilty bringing your bath towel to the pool. But yeah. if you have a pool and didn't provide me a pool towel, I'm going to do it. And I would prefer exactly. the pool towel. So just do your guests a favor. You don't want them taking the bath towels out either. So just think ahead yeah. of what they're going to need. And you're doing yourself a favor too. Yeah. And as you were saying that, it's just kind of this thought of like, I think that's actually part of good like good hospitality should feel good for everybody mm -hmm. one I don't know if this is true at all I don't know who's gonna be like the judge on all hospitality but what it's feeling to me right now is that hospitality should feel good on both ends like when you're providing a good service to somebody like that should benefit you when you are finding those little things and like when I added the makeup towels I actually wasn't thinking that was a while back I really wasn't thinking about staying washcloths and was like oh wow well what do you know I was doing that for my guests yeah. and I think that's like that cycle of you're taking care of your guests they're taking care of you and yeah I don't know there's something there like something really beautiful about how like good hospitality should work that it does kind of come back around we will, we need to workshop this and like turn it into a tagline or something because I'm with you. <laughs> I'm um, on, I'm feeling something. I'm yeah. not quite sure what that is, but there's definitely like, we'll throw it on threads. The new hot place to be like there a simple, go. like hospitality should feel good both ways. I don't know. We'll come yeah. up with it. <laughs> anyway, Brindy, I think that this was honestly, I'm going to say it. One of my favorite episodes ever. I feel like this whole show started as like a hospitality and short-term rental like tips show. And then I've just been personally really interested in more investing and growing and scaling. So I've pivoted the last few episodes to that, but this feels really good to like get back to I think what we're all in this for at the end of the day, and I love that your tips are very practical, like do not be discouraged if you don't have a mini golf course in your backyard or a movie theater or a game room, like five automated communication tips, set your guests up for success and a good guidebook with personal recommendations. Like if you Absolutely. take anything from this episode, take those three. I think that is a huge start. And yeah, ask for the five star review. Don't be cringy about it. Yes. I think this was, this was good. Yay. Love it. Yeah. Yep. I remember the last thing I was going to say, and I think maybe it'll help us wrap everything up. And it goes to that like hospitality working for everybody. And that is what I like. One thing that I, when you provide a beautiful, well put together space for somebody, they're more likely to take care of it. And I've noticed this the most with the fridge. Like if I leave an opened bottle of ketchup in the fridge, and an open bottle of mustard and leftover, something that maybe I'm thinking, oh, the guest might want it. What I've noticed when I've done that is then the guest like leaves all of their food in the fridge yeah. when they're leaving. So anyways, that just kind of feels like one of those things where it's you take care of them, they take care of you and you're showing them, you're giving them an example of how to do that. I leave you a perfectly clean fridge. Like, 
you leave that for me in return. So that's that's kind of, totally what is it? The broken window theory. Like if there's a broken window, people are more likely to continue vandalizing a place. Not that leaving food in the fridge is vandalism, but it's true. It's like the one open ketchup bottle is just like, oh, I guess I can leave everything else here. And you can extrapolate that. If you leave out one white towel that has makeup on it, people are going to wipe their makeup on the rest of them. So just exactly. I love it. I love it. Thank you so much, Brandy. I loved catching up with you. I love this episode and we'll talk soon. Thanks for being here. Awesome. Thank you, Natalie. So good to chat. Bye. And finally, for this week's Am I the Airbnb Hole? This is a long one, so stay with me. This is one of the strangest situations I've ever read happening to a host, and she documented this whole story on a Facebook group, basically asking people for their input and what they think happened. I read this. I read the comments. I'm completely confused. Nobody in the comments seemed to know what was going on. Some people said that they had something similar happen. But that was pretty much it. I'm completely confused. We're going to read this one. Again, it's long. So strap in, buckle up, listen up right now. And when all is said and done and I finish reading this one, please DM me. Go to Instagram and DM me your theories on what you think is going on because I'm very confused. All right, let's go. So this host posted, after hosting seven places for three plus years, we just recently had the strangest, most problematic guest to date. Very long story short, a group of four people from L.A. came to stay with us in Milwaukee to visit friends for four nights. After the second night, a neighbor called to tell us there were people coming and going all night long. We checked the August lock, and sure enough, the front door opens and closes over 50 times between midnight and 5 a.m. The neighbor said it didn't appear to be a party, and it wasn't necessarily disturbing, more so just odd. I went over there to take the trash to the curb and check things out and ran into two of the guests who were just walking out with suitcases. I said, oh, are you guys leaving early? They replied that they weren't. They were just going to go sightseeing in the city. So why the suitcases? I got the impression that they were waiting for me to leave before they drove off, but I was dying to at least peek in the windows but couldn't. The day of checkout, they asked to extend their stay and we politely replied, absolutely not. I wanted to be the first to see the house, so I arrived just minutes after 11 a.m. the day of checkout, and they were still there. I walked in and expressed the urgency that they leave as we had other guests arriving the same day, so they were scrambling to get out. Before I knew it, they said goodbye and left in their caravan of four cars. At this point, I noticed there were actually six people. Anyway, I bolted upstairs to discover that they had left tons of things behind. And I mean tons. Brand new clothes, shoes, coffee makers, bedding, sleeping bags, speakers, headphones, beauty products, etc. You name it. My first thought was that it was stolen, but most everything had receipts. We called them immediately, but they would not answer. As we simultaneously cleaned and sifted through these items, we found needles, crack pipes, and other various paraphernalia. We bagged everything up in huge black contractor bags and contemplated calling the police. However, we had new guests arriving shortly and Milwaukee cops tend to take hours to respond to non-emergency calls. They're busy. I get it. Okay, so we finally got everything bagged up in 8 to 10 huge contractor bags and the house was ready to go for the next guest. It was 3.30 p.m. Guests arrived at 4. At this point, I had already missed a super important event as I had to stay and help the cleaner with all of the shit needed to get the hell out of there. Suddenly, the first guests message us and say that they left a black computer bag behind and they had to come back to get it. 
They were in Chicago and would be back in an hour. I explained to them that all the shit they left behind was already hauled to basement and new guests were arriving in just a few minutes and there's absolutely no way we are hauling all of that back upstairs. They stated that they were coming and that's that. I replied that if they come, they will meet the cops there because it's not happening. They said fine and that they would be there in an hour. Fast forward to 4 p.m. New guests arrive and we have to kind of explain to them what is going on. As predicted, the cops have been called and have not yet arrived. So, sure enough, we had to haul all the damn bags back upstairs and outside. I messaged them and said all their shit was on the curb and they could come and get it, but that they were not allowed on the property. As promised, they arrived to retrieve this mysterious computer bag, and right on the sidewalk in the middle of the city, they ripped open their bags. At this point, I was down the road watching from my car, and the new guests were peeking out of the windows watching as well. After 30 to 40 minutes or so, the guests find, or don't, I really have no idea, what they were looking for and leave for the last time. And they left everything there on the sidewalk. Everything. At this point, it was up for grabs as it was no longer in bags and spewed all over the place. So the cleaner, the new guests, and I ended up with hundreds of dollars of perfume, speakers, shoes, etc. Oh, and the cops never ended up showing up. What I did discover, however, is that all these items were purchased with gift cards. What is the scam behind this, and why would they leave it all behind? I've been racking my brain trying to think of all possible reasons for both, and I just cannot understand. That's it. That's all we get from this host. There were several comments of people being confused. One comment stood out to me. This girl said, I don't know why they don't want this stuff, but my credit card for my full-time job was compromised back in December, and they bought very large gift cards with it as well. What the heck is this? I've never heard of this before. Can somebody please DM me and explain what is going on? Like, why why are you stealing? Like, obviously, there's some sort of scam involved. I don't understand why you would be buying all of this stuff with gift cards. I'm so confused. I'm so confused. Like this host, like I've, I read this post last week, knew that this was going to be this week's Am I the Airbnb hole. I've reread this multiple times. I don't understand. What am I missing? So somebody, if you have any idea what happened here, please DM me. If we get to the bottom of this, then next week we will have a follow-up to this. Next week's Am I the Airbnb hole will be explaining what happened because I have to know in the meantime, of course, obviously the guests are the Airbnb holes. Like, why put the host in that situation and make them bag up all your stuff? If it's not important to you, I don't know, bag it up and go drop it off at Goodwill or something. Take it to take it to a charity or a donation center. It is so unfair to make that somebody else's job. And I at least feel okay. Like, it makes me feel a little better that it was the homeowner that was here in this situation and showed up, I would feel so bad if the cleaner was stuck with that. If the cleaner had multiple cleans that day and then had to show up and make this part of their job, I would feel so bad. So it makes me feel slightly better that the owner was there, but that's still unfair to put on the owner. Um, I will say as a perk that this owner, <laughs> the cleaning lady, and the new guests got to end up with hundreds of dollars worth of brand new stuff. But this whole thing just had me so perplexed please, you guys, somebody reach out to me. Somebody message me on Instagram and tell me what happened. I am dying to know. And with that, it is now checkout time. Thanks for listening and I'll see you back here next week. Lastly, as Airbnb hosts, we all can appreciate a good five-star review. So you already know a great review on this podcast would mean so much to me. Please subscribe, review, share, and connect with me in the show notes below. Bye.